Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. Um, As I said, my name is Nick. We've been going through um, the book of Colossians, and we have entitled it Held Together. And Chris did a great job last week. And he spoke about what it means to be held together in the context of our personal purity and the decisions that we make. And this week, um, if you've been following, we would continue from Colossians 3 and we would start where Chris left off um, in verse 12. Now I'm going to read these verses and we've intentionally flipped them. Um, And so we're going to do verses 18 to 21 this week. But I want to read through the whole passage in order to give you some of the context. I'm going to try and read. My arms are getting shorter, so that's why I I can't see. So, okay. Right, there it is. Put on then. (laughs) You guys are all going to get you, all of you laughing at me. That's right, Aaron. It's not funny, is it, Aaron? So, oh, no, 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 it's, it's not all of them. Put on then God's... Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. Now, I wanted to keep that for next week. Um, So we'll continue. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you indeed were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God, what April shared with us. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So we're going to do something a little different this evening. And what we're going to do is we are going to interview some members of our community in the context of the next four verses. Um, and so verses 18 to 21, and I'm going to be reading under New King James. There'll probably be a different translation up there. Wives, submit, understand, or align to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter or harsh toward them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke, aggravate, or exacerbate your children unless they become discouraged. Now, for the last couple of weeks, we've been learning how Paul is talking to the Colossian church and saying to them, there are people within the context of your relationships that are trying to tell you what true spirituality is. Um, And true spirituality is visions and angels and conversations with spiritual beings. But in reality, what Paul is getting through, as he did in the first three chapters, is he's, he's saying true spirituality is a deep relationship with Jesus Christ. And true spirituality is marked by the way in which we behave towards each other. True spirituality is identified by the way in which we treat each other, by the decisions that we make, what we do with our bodies, with our money, what we say with our mouths, that is what true spirituality is. So I'm gonna invite uh, Valerie, John Mark, and Neil to come up here.
So you can give the mic to Val first. Yes. Actually, John could sit on the floor and still be taller than me, so, you know. Um, I just want to say a couple of introductory statements um, when it comes to what we're looking at. Obviously, we're not looking at this scripture in isolation of the rest of the teachings of Jesus. Um, and so that's why I read those passages, because it fits in specifically with regards to how we behave. Now, many of you in your Bibles might have written above that section, 18 to 21, rules for Christian living, okay? Now, let me tell you something about biblical inspiration. Those subheadings were not biblically inspired. Those subheadings are things that people who put the Bible together that you have thought, okay, this is what this is about. They are not rules for Christian living. These relationships are ways that we get to glorify God by the way in which we engage in these relationships. Now, the other truth is that not all the relationships that we engage with in the world are, are here. So if you're single, you might be thinking, great, I can check the Dodger score right now. Um, no, oh, even though the singleness is not directly um, re referenced in this passage, um, one of the things I'd like to ask is that you just remain with a, an open heart posture um, because at a minimum, we're all children. Um, and you might not get that, but we'll get to it at the end of the meeting, of why that's important. We're all someone's child. And, and also, I, I don't want you to listen with the idea of like, okay, well, one day I'll be married, so this is important. You may not be. That's not the purpose of life. I also want us, within the context of what we understand the traditional family to be, to just be sensitive and understand that every time we cover passages like this, there is a sense in which the enemy could divide us. Um, and so to just be sensitive to that, to the people in our midst. Make sense? So I'm going to read that again, and I'm going to ask Val some questions. And Val's going to be on the spot. She's very nervous. You're going to do great. Okay. What are the six ways that we know that we are in relationship with God? The way in which that is tested, Paul says to us, is in the way in which wives are submitted to their husbands, the way that husbands love their wives and do not embitter them, the way their children honor and obey their parents, the way their fathers lead their parents in an unprovoking way, the way that slaves obey their masters and masters deal with their slaves. And Travis has that nice passage to deal with when he preaches. Um, I also want to say a couple things with regards to the panel. None of these guys are perfect. Um, and, and so they're not here because they are the perfect wife, the perfect husband, and the perfect father. Um, I also want to invite you to pray for them. Because any time you stand up and you say, this is what God has taught me and is doing in the context of my family, you really put yourself out there on the front line when it comes to the enemy and spiritual warfare. So be praying for them. The reason why they're here is that they have imitatable lives. And that's why they're here. So Valerie, when you read, wives submit, understand, or align to your husband's what do you do with that when it's considered such a dirty word, the S word, and when it's a trigger you in saw our... my joke. I did? Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. 
and especially when when it's such a triggering word for so many for so many women. Okay. Um, okay, I had a script to go off of, but I will, I'll I'll adjust. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think it's a tough word because uh, you know, uh, I don't know if you've been raised here, you know, the whole Ricky Lucy kind of dynamic, um, and. I think that's more of a cultural thing versus what this actually looks like in scripture. And um, I think for me, um, it's me and Sean, uh, I think that Sean has made this somewhat easy because he, um, he has loved me. And I, I think when you know your spouse is committed to um, caring for you and loving you and hearing from the Lord, um, then it's it becomes um, easier to bring yourself, your voice, your gifts, your vulnerability, and even your sacrifice um, to the table. Um, yeah. Um, do you want to hear where I've struggled with this? or? <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> um, so, I mean, language aside, I think practically what I, where I have perhaps struggled with this is um, actually more of a heart issue versus something that looks external. Um, I heard a, a message a few years ago. It might have been Karin, actually. Um, and the idea of submission was linked to honoring. And um, it, in our culture, I think that um, it's just so easy to... Uh, husbands and fathers are just like the easiest target. And so I think... Um, I've just, I've remembered that because I think there have been times where I've just fallen into, you know, just making some passive aggressive comment, you know, when I'm joking with my friends and I've gone back and I've thought there was, there was a little bite to that. That wasn't just a joke. There was um, something there. And um, I've had to actually submit that to the Lord and sit with that. Um, You know, the Bible talks about guarding your heart because from such a place come the wellsprings of life, something like that. Um, so yeah, just sitting with that. And, um, often what that comes down to for me is whether I feel like I'm loved in that moment or not. So if there's, um, for me, my love language is time. So if I have not spent enough time with Sean, um, then I start to get a little scratchy. Like I start, you know, that that's where that, um, sense comes from. And so at that point, I have the choice to invite him into that, to submit that to him and say, hey, this is how I've been feeling, you know, first to submit that to the Lord and actually invite him into that. And um, I think, um, yeah, the thing that I love about that scripture and just the way that um, Nick framed it was I, I, I can offer that to Sean and it has brought deeper intimacy, but there's not... Um, it's not a tit for tat, you know, we're, we're both, um, imperfect people. So he's not always going to love me perfectly and I'm not going to submit or, you know, whatever that looks like perfectly. And so I think, um, I go back to the verse, mm. I don't know what the verse, you know, I can't, I can't bring it up, but the idea that I am, um, I'm clothed in God's love. I'm grounded in God's love and that empowers me to, uh, to love my husband, um, even when it may not feel like he's deserving that day. You know, I, 
I'm empowered to love him um, and, and submit that. So. so one of the things you said is that um, submission can lead to intimacy. Um, and in, in the context of our culture, submission is not something we align with intimacy. Submission is something we align with power and powerlessness. It's the person without power that is forced to submit to the person with power. So how do you, when you say submission can bring intimacy, um, what, what does that look like f for you and Sean? Not too much detail, but just, <laughs> you know, in, in, the, in the general sense, you know? Um, I think just, uh, I think the idea of um, when I talk about it in terms of just allowing myself to be known and um, bringing him in on that. And I, I think there are, uh, when I think about just our congregation and so many women I've, I've worked with, there are a lot of strong, beautiful women, you know, and um, I think sometimes there is this sense of uh, a learned, like, I can do this myself and I don't need... Um, I don't need somebody to help me with this thing. In fact, I've already put this to him, and he hasn't come through, so I might as well do it myself. Um, and I, I think, though, that it takes vulnerability to go back and, in spite of that, still invite your husband into this space and say, this is how I'm feeling. And when they respond, that I mean, I think that leads to a deeper knowing um, of each other's, I don't know, Heart. Great. Thanks, Phil. Um, Sean and Val have two kids, um, Jack and Sienna, and they are? Seven and five. Great. And so we'll be pinging back when it comes to kids as well, but can you hand the mic to John, to Neil? Um, so Neil and Jack, um, for those of you that don't know, they have three boys, um, Hudson and, there we go, what's up buddy? Um, Hudson and Augie and Finn, and they've been married for? No, you shouldn't answer like that, that's already a fail right there. Four, that's right. 14 years? Yeah, yeah, okay, good, 14. Great. Um, so Neil, uh, when you hear that scripture, husbands love your wives and do not be bitter or harsh towards them. What does that mean to you in your experience as a Christ follower and your experience with Jack? Great question, Salty. Um, I am most bitter towards my wife when I am furthest from Jesus. There's a direct correlation to how I view her, how I treat her. Uh, essentially, if I am not filled with God, I don't have the heart of God to offer to her. And from the scripture you read earlier, um, in verses 14 and 15, it says, Above all, above all of these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule, rule in your hearts. You know, when I think about who we are as a community, the way that I would describe that to you, men, is that when we revel in Jesus when we saturate ourselves with the knowledge of the gospel, when we spend regular time in intimate ways with him, we actually have something that is heavenly, unlike this world, that we can actually share with our spouse. Um, I consider this to be the highest of all priorities. Um, often, I can do the right things in the wrong way. 
But when I'm connected to God, even my intentions behind those actions uh, are genuine, authentic, and empower our relationship. Um, And just, I read this this morning, and I just wanted to share it with you. It's a quote from Blaise Pascal, but it says, um, all men's miseries derive from not being able to sit in a quiet room alone. And I think... uh, the greatest tool we have access to is to revel in the gospel, to saturate ourselves with the knowledge of God. And that's what helps us not become bitter towards our wives. So to get more practical, can you talk about a moment or a situation or a period in which you realized you were doing this? And what did you do? <clears throat> I'm a, a very twisted individual. <laughs> Just ask my wife. Um, what happens to me in not close proximity to God is that I start seeing my wife in two dimensions. I start labeling and judging her. I start misreading actions. I, I attach meaning that she is not sending my way. Um, we had an incident this morning that I can't get into <laughs> because kids are in the room. Um, but literally in this moment, I I felt things going sideways. I felt my heart hardening and just, I felt God speak to me. That's my daughter. Noted. Thank you, Jesus. Um, And just really being able to push towards not winning an argument, not getting my point across, but I was like, I don't understand why she did what she did. And rather being bitter and creating distance, I asked good questions. You know, when you did this, did you mean this? And, and this is how it makes me feel and just understanding those things. So um, does that answer the question? I'm sure everyone wants to know what happened this morning, but they can ask you later. You can give that to John Mark. Um, John Mark has been married for 17 years and um, to Madeline, and they have four amazing children. And John Mark grew up in Germany, uh, the son of missionaries. And so I wanted to ask John Mark from the perspective of both father and son, what does it mean for children to obey their parents? But at the same time, what does it mean for a father um, to not provoke or exacerbate his children? The question that I asked John Mark when I called him is like, did you, did you feel like that by your dad? And he said, no, I, I never did. So I said, well, maybe you can talk a little about that. So, Yeah, um, I grew up in a home um, with parents that were missionaries that were pushing the gospel out to places where um, there just wasn't a lot of presence. Um, and I saw my dad proclaiming the gospel often And yet, it wasn't a perfect home. It wasn't a perfect father-son relationship. Um, But certainly, I I think the key for me was my parents expected obedience. And there was clarity around when I'd crossed the line and when I hadn't. And that actually created a really safe place for me as a child because discipline always came, not always, that's an absolute, discipline came often through love. I knew I was loved in the midst of I had crossed a line and I was receiving discipline. So as a child, I actually felt really safe and really clear about what, what it was to be in relationship with my parents. And that was a huge gift, a huge gift. 
um, if there was a discipline, I remember distinctly that it always involved hugging, loving connection, relational connection. And I think that's really, when I, when I look back, that's really a solid piece for me, even as a parent, to go, man, times that I've struggled and times that I've really hurt my children to remember that. But if I'm still loving them, that love is going to push through and actually conquer and uh, reign over the times of my struggles as well. Uh, are there any times where you felt exacerbated or frustrated or like scripture says, it's like I, no one is getting me. And do you remember those times and what did you do? I don't think I have a memory of a time when I was exacerbated. Um, I have memories of deep pain and childhood wounds, father wounds. Um, but I don't, I don't think that I have a memory that actually is a memory of exacerbation. Well, maybe talk about that, like yeah. some disappointment or wound. Yeah, my father was an athlete and had his own wounds. He, he wanted to be great as an athlete. And he wanted to give me every opportunity to be great. And so I, I remember distinctly out on the soccer field. I mean, in Germany, that's the sport you play. So I was on every, every team and played, you know, soccer as long as I can remember. And um, I remember distinctly my dad running up and down the soccer field, following every move of mine. During halftime, my coach would pull us all aside, and uh, he would give us sort of the pep talk, and, hey, team, this is what we got to do to win this game. After the coach gave me his feedback, my dad would come over, and he would give me his feedback. And I remember just personally the way I received that was I'm not good enough. I'm just never good enough because every single game I play, there's going to be a comment from my dad. Um, and I just know there's more to improve. There's more to do. I got to get back at it. So that's a deep wound that still affects me today. Praise God, I've been able to talk about it with my dad and have those conversations. And he regrets a lot of that. And his intentions weren't to wound me in that way. Um, but the wounds still exist, and the wounds still hurt deep. So how, because many of us are wounded, whether husbands, fathers, sons, daughters, even in relationships, we, we're wounded in our friendships. When, when that happens, like, what is a good process um, to follow when you recognize, I guess the first thing is you recognize that there was a wound. Once you've recognized that, like, how did you, like, how did you deal with that, you know? I think there has to be safety in the relationship to be able to go there. Um, I knew I was safe with my dad and knew we could have those conversations. And so I, I think as, as an adult now, having looked back, I can, I can see with a bit more rationality that my dad's motives were not intending to hurt me. And so I think now I can approach it with a different kind of, it's not charged. I can come not as charged to that conversation. But I think it's, it's important to recognize and be able to speak about it in relationship in a way that's, that's not threatening or that's not condemning, but this hurt me. When you did this, I felt this. And for the person receiving it, it's 
it can be difficult to be in a place of receiving, of hearing, of um, feeling even with you the pain that you must have felt. And, but I think those, those are important to be able to have empathy for the person who was hurt, but to also bring the hurt out into the open, out into the light, because nothing can, can change unless it's out in the open. That's great. Um, question for whoever wants to answer this, just in the context of children. Um, obviously, you all have children. Even though the scripture says fathers, there's a sense in which we understand um, that fathers and mothers are responsible for the disciplining and training of children. So how do you balance the idea of obedience, which is clear in scripture, with the um, very Western individualistic philosophy of my child is this unique being that has is super gifted and I need to do everything that I can to make sure that they experience freedom and creativity. Um, and so if my child is exhibiting leadership or creativity or whatever, that is more important um, than obedience versus the other side of like, just be quiet and do what I tell you. Does that make sense? Anyone? Um, I, I think, um, I feel like, uh, can I go neither, with neither of those choices and just say that, um, I think that, you know, obedience is of, you know, utmost importance because, um, yeah, because that's what God asks of us. But I think that, um, you don't have to do an either or there's a, um, I think, you know, I definitely don't do this perfectly. I've literally had this on our chalkboard for a year because it, I still forget to do it. But um, there's this little phrase, um, and I don't know who coined it, but the idea is uh, name it to tame it. And, um, and I think it's just, it can be so important to, and this goes along with the idea of kids not being exacerbated um, or, or frustrated, um, just the idea of, kids see, um, having their emotions seen. So, you know, Jack's really upset about something and um, it's actually not my go-to to say, wow, you're really upset. My go-to is to tell him to stop. Um, but really to try and kind of take a step back and tell him, wow, you're really upset. And then once he's calmed down a little bit to, to go with... Um, to go to what I'm actually asking for him to do, um, which is to obey. So I'm, I think there's a way of kind of addressing his heart so he feels seen, but also this is, this is where we're going with this, with obedience. That, I realize that did not answer your question about freedom. <laughs> Thanks, Brittany. <laughs> uh, while you hand that mic, um to Neil, a good friend of mine who had boys, and so Neil um, is in a good spot. Um, he gave Karen and I some excellent advice in terms of raising kids. He said, let them do dangerous things so that they don't do evil things. Um, and I think sometimes um, we, we just are in this environment where we, we, want, we want to make sure that we're in control of what's happening and actually um, we need as, as parents to give opportunities and say yes as often as we can so that the no is not what they are constantly hearing. Neil. Um, man, I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty strict. 
Nick, would you agree? Well, you're a CrossFit coach. Okay. Well, so, yeah. Yeah, very <laughs> so, yes. Um, like, I, I call out almost anything that my boys do that are unkind or kind of outside of expectation. And um, I think the primary job of a leader, whether it's your wife or your children, is teaching. Uh, in verse 16, where it says, let the word of Christ dwell uh, in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. So when um, Hudson was a little boy and he used to hit his mom, he was like, maybe, how old was he? Like three, right? So we're talking like this little tiny hand inaccurately lands on mom and there's no physical harm whatsoever. And, um, but it was a pattern that kept happening. And um, I would say, hey, but if it happens, you're going to get disciplined when I get home. And um, it, cont- it carried on every day for about four or five days. And I sat him down one evening, and I was like, Hudson, do you know what happens if Daddy hit Mom? I was like, she would call the cops. They would arrest me. I wouldn't get to see you. Do you know what happens when you don't obey your teachers? Do you know what happens when you don't bo- obey a police officer? And what I'm telling you, I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm not trying to, what I'm doing is helping you. I don't want this in your future. And literally it stopped, never happened again. And just this thing of, you know, when the, when the word of God dwells in you, you can see the trajectory or the future fruit in your children's life. And I just explain it to them. This will lead to that, which leads to this, which leads to this. And what I'm asking you to do is to do it differently, which leads to good fruit. Um, Whether it's selfishness, whether it's uh, just whatever the topic is, teach them, admonish them, show them the wisdom in your instruction, not just to do it because I say so. Uh, I feel that 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 really frustrates kids. I think too, I mean, in relationship with God, God has... The relationship has, um, not stipulations, but we, we honor the Lord in the way that we live. So to call our kids towards obedience, I think, is reflective of our relationship with God. So I, I think, that actually, that's a, that's a great way to help teach them that relationship with God actually looks like obedience to God as well. So there's, there's sort of a mirroring of that. I had an example as I was thinking about exacerbate. This is not a word I am very familiar with and use frustrate, but I was looking it up and it says making a bad uh, situation worse. And man, I can tell you examples from this week where I was a part of making a bad situation worse. Oh, good. Good. And also God gave me huge victory this week in one particular instance where one of, one of my sons was really bored. He has a tendency to be bored and he'll come to us parents and say, I'm bored, I'm bored. And then the easy thing for us is to go, well, we can't handle this right now. Uh, other son, go play with him right now so that you can take care of his boredom. And we did that. And our son, whom we asked to help out, he was getting frustrated. He was, he was, it was to a point where he was also not respecting us. And so I took him into the room, and instead of what I sometimes do, which is immediate to the discipline or immediate to the this is what you did that was not honoring, I just heard his story a little bit. And he had a totally legitimate story. He's like, you call on me often when... Son A is bored and 
then I have to stop exactly what I'm doing and turn right at that moment and go and figure out how to, you know, help him not to be bored. Like, that's hard, Papa. And so we had a really good conversation about that, which led to us talking about it together first. And then we still corrected what was what needed to be disciplined. But it just I, I just saw the spirit at work in that moment. That was not me doing that. That was the spirit prompting me, helping me, and it just totally diffused mm. what could have been exacerbated. It could have been a bad situation that would have gotten worse. Mm. I was so thankful for that and so thankful that the Spirit helped me to see it in that moment, go, this is what the Spirit's doing. This is, this is what I want to step into more. So, That's great, John Mark. When, um, uh, of course, from now on, John Mark will perfectly discipline his kids, and from now on, his kids will perfectly respond to the grace of God. I mean, we know that that's not true. And I, I also just want to honor these guys for their vulnerability because the reality is their kids aren't sitting here listening to this. Their wives, their husbands are, are, are listening to this. There's a, there's a real sense in which they're, they're putting themselves out there. I am, I, I'm, one of the things that Karen and I did early on in, in the context of, of children was the idea that, um, that obedience is a core issue. Um, everything else, in, in a sense, is a symptom of disobedience. Um, and so we would, we, we, we had the bathroom for our, our little kids. And it's like, okay, go, go meet me in the bathroom. And we'd say, now, do you know why you're here? Yes, because I, I, I did X. I'm like, no, you're not here because you did X. You're here because we told you not to do X. That's why you're here. Um, and so for us, and I think this is important in terms of our relationship with God, sometimes we feel like we're being unfairly judged because we think the thing we did or didn't do is a little stupid. Um, it's a little irrelevant. It's unfair um, what, it, what has been asked of us. And so, so we react out of that, that place, even with God not really understanding that God is worthy of our obedience. And that is what he's asking us to do. Um, and our obedience is actually for our own flourishing. And children, believe it or not, and all of you are children, and you look back on how you were disciplined as your parents, um, no parent is disciplining their child in order to inflict pain. Now, I know there are issues of abuse, and I'm not talking about those very obvious things, but no parent that is actually trying to raise their child is saying, how can I really mess up my relationship with my son and daughter? How can I get them to hate me? How can I get them to hate Jesus? Um, that is not what is happening. As, as, as broken and flawed human beings, God has called us to lead our husbands and wives, to submit to our husbands, to... Um, to lead our and love our children in a way that is representative of God. It's an incredibly scary thing when you think that the way in which you behave actually represents God to your children, to your wife, to your husband. Um, and so I just wanted to end this portion um, by, by saying a couple of things. The, the, one, the, the reason why obedience is important is, is like I said, we are all children. And we are all potentially God's children, which means that we are all potentially in a situation where we have said, God, I want you to father me. Um, and, 
And even in the context of the way that I wasn't properly fathered or the way that I was kind of well-fathered or I was well-fathered, um, I know that the only perfect father is God. Um, and so to, to actually claim that identity as a child, um, doesn't matter how old you are, doesn't matter whether you're a husband, you're a wife, you're a child, whatever status you're in, you're actually a child. Um, and obedience to the father is important. Um, and I just want to say a couple things because most of us are adults in this room when it comes to honor and obey. God calls children to honor and obey their parents, or rather obey and honor their parents. Obey ends. Honor never does. Um, it's one of the Ten Commandments. And I, I just wanted to say in the context of what maybe the Holy Spirit is bringing up here, um, I think there's some of you that are maybe experiencing shame. Maybe you're a parent, maybe you're a child, maybe you're a husband or a wife realizing, wow, I am, I'm, I'm really not doing this very well. Maybe you're experiencing guilt. Um, maybe you're experiencing pain from not having been fathered well, from not being husbanded or, or wifed well, from, from being in a place where you feel alone and unseen. And maybe you're in a place where the Holy Spirit is inviting you um, to deal with issues of shame, to deal with issues of guilt, to deal with issues of, of loneliness, and, and to deal with that pain. Um, and so I just want to read a couple things. Guys, you can sit down. Thanks. If you're, if you're in a place where you are feeling shame... And, and shame is something that you hide from. Um, I, I don't want anyone to find out about this. And guilt is, is something where you know you've done something wrong and where you need forgiveness. And a, a pain in your soul is where you know that you've been hurt. And someone has hurt you. Um, and, and loneliness is where you, where you feel disconnected. And as, uh, as Jeremy and the team come up here, I just want to invite you, just in the context of worship, we're going to participate in the Lord's Supper. And, and the Lord's Supper is a, a sacrament that Jesus gave his disciples that deals with every one of those things. It deals with shame where sin was perpetrated on you and you were not the reason why that uh, you were not the reason for that sin. You were the, the victim of that sin because it washes that shame away. It deals with the guilt where you were the perpetrator of a wrong against someone um, because Jesus has paid the penalty of our sin. It deals with the issue of wounds because Jesus was wounded on our behalf. Um, and, and he knows every single human emotion that we could experience to a degree that we will never know. If you want to talk about abandonment, about betrayal, about any emotion that really touches you deeply, Jesus understands that emotion. Or if you feel disconnected or lonely, uh, the, the meal, the Lord's Supper, is actually a meal that connects us as Christ followers. It's a communal meal that you have with each other. And so I just, I just want to invite you um, in this moment, I know the kids are around, um, but I want to invite you to actually 
do what Val is encouraging us to do in the context of our relationships, but I want you to ask your own soul this question. Maybe like Val and John Mark were saying, we need to get better at actually asking people how they're feeling. Um, maybe what you could do is just close your eyes and say, how am I feeling? What am I experiencing? Am I experiencing shame in the context of my relationships? Am I experiencing guilt? Is a, is a fresh, has a wound been kind of reopened as we've talked about these things? Am I feeling lonely or disconnected? Holy Spirit, I want to pray. I want to pray that as you hover over us as a, as a community, that you would just bring your healing presence. I want to pray that as we listen and worship together before we take this meal, that you would allow us, challenge us to be honest with our own souls. I pray that you would help us to repent where we need to repent. To say, God, this hurts where it hurts. To come out of the shadows where we've been hiding because of shame. And to actually say, I, I want to belong. The Spirit of God, minister as we wait on you. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.